is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 40 years as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour, the best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist, <clears throat> excuse me, Dr. Andrew Jacobs, the frog in my throat this morning. I'm here every week. We talk about the mental side of sports from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. Our shows rebroadcast throughout the country throughout the week. And, of course, it's podcasted everywhere on all the podcast networks. Anyway, I love doing this show with you because we get into your mindset, your attitude, your focus, your demeanor. I've been in practice for 40 years as a sports psychologist, one of the first trained sports psychologists in the country. I've had the privilege to work at all levels of, of athletes from professional Olympian down to collegiate youth sports, high school sports, recreational, weekend warriors. I've had uh, a lot of experience with a lot of people, and I've had the really pleasure to meet so many wonderful people along the way. Some people that weren't so nice, too, but mostly a lot of really great people. And along with my producer, Blake Snyders, I'm here every Sunday morning. Blake is wide awake, ready to answer the phone and get you on the air when we get calls going on here. Because today we're going to do a show that probably affects everybody. I'm going to talk about confidence today. And the last couple of weeks I've had some guests on, both professors, who have talked about coaching, coming back from the virus, getting back into sports, just the whole scenario that we're dealing with now is, as life starts to return to some sense of normalcy, thankfully with these vaccinations and hopefully getting past this, this virus. This past week, I had three clients. And just, you know, I have a private practice here in Kansas City. I work with people actually all over the place. I, I do FaceTime with, with some people in Europe, actually, who uh, call regularly. Um, I work with a lot of different people. And confidence is perhaps the most common theme that seems to pop up all the time. And one of the things about confidence is how it is affected by the people around you. One of the things I've really, really noticed much more lately from a lot of high school kids is that their confidence gets impacted, affected, hurt, sometimes destroyed by adults. I had three people this week who I talked to baseball player, a golfer, and a softball player, all of whom heard comments while they were playing. I believe it a golfer, a high school golfer, hit a ball. A parent, who is the parent of another young man on the team, cursed at him for hitting the ball in the sand trap. A softball player had a parent yell at her 
for an errant throw. And the baseball player had a grandfather curse him out for striking out on a ball that was in the dirt that should have been ball four. Now, these are at youth sports events, high school sports events. You know, we, we live in a, a country where we can have free speech, obviously. But some people take it too far. You know, I've done this show for years. I've been on the radio 30 years here at Sports Radio 810 WHB for 20 years. I've talked about this topic a lot. But I am starting to notice more and more people are taking their anger out on other people. We're not going to get into the whole political discourse that goes on in this country. But what I'm seeing is that a lot of kids who play sports, when they screw up, get insulted, cut down, degraded, made fun of, picked on by others. I had a young man in my office the other day who's playing on his high school JV baseball team. And he's been made fun of by people at school because he's not on the varsity. Well, he's doing great on JV. He's hitting over 400. He's doing really good. He's not sure why he didn't make the varsity team. In fact, he said the guys ahead of him aren't doing as well, but he goes, you know what? I'm playing. I'm having fun. How do we destroy or build confidence in kids who play sports? Unfortunately, that negativity is going to always be there. I've done a lot of reading on websites and articles, you know, and everyone's got an opinion on this. To me, it all starts with youth sports. We build up confidence in kids in youth sports basically by this. Teach them how to fail. Teach them how to screw up. Teach them how to make mistakes and to get through them, not to let them eat them up. Failure is part of the game. But when you've got parents, grandparents, cursing out kids for making mistakes in a sporting event because they didn't succeed, I think it goes too far. You know, most of the time lately I've had guests on this show. Today, it's just me, and I'd like to open up our phone lines. I'd like to hear from you if you're a coach. If you coach kids, teenagers, or adults, doesn't matter, but if you're coaching younger people, what do you do when there is a parent, grandparent, fan in the stands who starts yelling negative stuff, gets angry because a kid on your team failed, screwed up? As a coach, how do you handle that? If you're a coach, what do you do when there are people in the stands degrading your athletes? Do you ignore it? Do you say anything to them? But most importantly, what do you say to these kids? If you're a parent and you're sitting in the stands and your son or daughter screws up, makes a mistake, doesn't succeed, and somebody else curses them out, yells at them, gets angry at them, what do you do? You know, a lot of people don't talk about this, but I do. It, it, I, I think it's something we have to address. I know my kids played youth sports. They're 31 and almost 30 now, obviously well past that. I had to deal with this a lot. And there was one instance where one of my sons didn't swing the bat playing baseball. And a dad started yelling, come on, swing the damn bat. Of course, he knew what I did for a living. 
I didn't appreciate it. We had a former professional athlete on our team, or excuse me, whose son was on the team, who said, do you want me to say something? I said, no, I'll say something to him. So after the game, I went up to him and said, hey, can I talk to you for a second? Yeah, what's up? I said, listen, my son didn't swing the bat. He struck out. Do you hear me yell at your son when he strikes out? And this guy turned red. And, oh, no, no. I said, you know, if you've got a problem with it, come up to me. Yelling at a 12-year-old kid isn't doing any good. Him any good or you any good. And to this guy's credit, he shook my hand and apologized. I went up to my son and apologized to him. And then went up to his son, and his son told him off for doing that. So I think it's an issue we all deal with if our kids play sports. Confidence is like the wind. Confidence is the ability to believe in yourself, your skills, your abilities, your talents, what you can do. And it is the most, one of the most easily destroyed components of athletic competition I've ever seen. Blake, what do you think about this? And I, I had a session yesterday with a young lady, a, another softball player. We were talking about this. And I told her, I said, you know, one of the things we're talking about her dad and how he expressed himself at games. I said, you know what? Why don't you buy a bag of Tootsie Pops and give them to your dad and ask it and say, Dad, suck on this at the games. She looked at me started laughing. And she said, you know what, Dr. Jacobs? I think that's a good idea. This is an issue we're going to address throughout the show. And I'd love to hear if you're a parent, you're a coach, you're an athlete. You've had to deal with this before. Give me a call and let's talk. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Migraine is a devastating neurological disease that affects nearly 40 million adults and 20% of women in the U.S. It's an invisible disease that is highly misunderstood. In fact, a survey conducted by the National Headache Foundation and Biohaven Pharmaceuticals confirms that 93% of people who don't suffer from migraine fail to understand the severity of the disease. Whoopi Goldberg is an actress, comedian, and television personality best known for being in the elite group of entertainers who've won an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. She has lived with migraine for decades, trying many different treatments, but none of them provided relief from the pain until now. That's why she's partnered with Biohaven Pharmaceuticals to share her experience finding relief from migraine with Nurtec, ODT, Remigipant. For years, I've had to push through the pain of a migraine, as women most often do. So a lot of people don't understand what that means and the impact that it can have on a person's life. So I am thrilled to have found relief with Nurtec ODT because with it, I no longer have the anxiety of another migraine day. Join Whoopi and share your migraine story with hashtag Nurtec ODT and learn more about Nurtec ODT at Nurtec.com. Nurtec ODT 75 milligram orally disintegrating tablets is a prescription medicine for the acute treatment of migraine in adults. Nurtec ODT is not indicated for the preventive treatment of migraine. Do not take if you are allergic to Nurtec ODT or any of its ingredients. The most common side effect was nausea in 2% of patients. Please visit Nurtec.com for full prescribing information, patient information, and important safety information. With the My Social Security account, you can request a replacement Social Security card, estimate your benefits, and more. Save time. Go online. Open a My Social Security account at ssa.gov slash myaccount. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? 
Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour on our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week talking about the mental side of sports. Today's topic is self-confidence. And I brought up the issue of parents, grandparents, fans in the stands that use sports high school games yelling at kids if they've screwed up. If you're a coach, how do you handle it? If you're a parent, how do you handle it? If you're an athlete and that's happened to you, how do you handle it? Our phone number is 913-3810-810. Let's see what Terry has to say. Terry, good morning. How are you? Hey, I'm fine. I've called you before. Um, a couple of things. I have kind of a coaching um, to parent meeting at the beginning of the year and the first thing I say to the parents is they have to understand the coach's voice to player contact and I want to break the habit of the player always looking up into the stands for affirmation uh, after everything they do so they need to hear our voice Um, and then I say at some point the game is going to be theirs and not yours parents I know you're there and I know you love your kids. Um, I encourage the pl- the parents to adopt another kid to cheer for. Um, well, that's so an inter- that, that's an interesting one. I've never heard that before. Well, it, that all came out of uh, three coaches all uh, sitting around a, a pitcher of margaritas uh, when we first started, saying, "Hey, I don't want my kid to always hear my voice." So uh, we drafted another kid to. to <laughs> To do that, how, my question, Terry, is how many margaritas did you have before you got to that that conclusion? Well, it didn't take long because <laughs> we all knew what our issues were. And then the last thing, the last thing I say is, and and this is just a, this is a common sense thing. I said, parents, how many of you stand 
in your kid's classroom at school, and when they're called upon, you know, in a ring around watching them perform, and when they're called upon to put a problem up on the board, you yell at them when they, when they don't carry the one or they don't add up correctly. How, how many of you guys do that? And they all look at me like, well, what, what a stupid question. I go, yeah. So why are we doing it here? It's a learning environment. So let's figure out how to create the best learning environment. What, what, and, uh, what age, let me ask you, Terry, what age did you coach? What sport? Oh, I coached it all, all nine, nine years old, all the way up to, to uh, traveling uh, teams for baseball, and now I'm into softball. Okay, have and, you had parents that have sort of challenged you on this? No. And, and here's the other one. Uh, I, I told a, a story about one of my coaches who said that it, the best uh, parent meeting he was ever involved with was his high school-aged uh, baseball team, obviously in the 80s or 90s. The coach handed out the uh, uniforms in a, in a brown paper sack, grocery sack, and said, this is the only, uniform, uh, the only coach's meeting we're going to have. Uh, if you want to have another meeting with me, bring the uniform back. <laughs> now, that was a little hardcore. That was back in the days when, you know, it was the coaches way or the highway. But everybody then laughs. I said, so we're not going to be that way. You know, come and talk. Let's have the conversation. All right, let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. And I really like what you're saying here because I think this is what people need to hear. But I'm sure you've been at games throughout your, your life where you've seen or heard parents or grandparents scream and yell. Maybe there are parents on the other team. Okay. And, and what do you see this doing to kids? That, oh, that's, it, that's the question. It deflates them. I, it, it makes them question what, they, what they're there to do. And it, it's not – you're not there to make you're, – you're there because you want positive attention. That's why people play sports. They want that moment to talk about. They're not there to make their parents proud of them. Their parents are bringing them there. And, yes, they want to, they, they're playing the game for themselves and for their teammates. And when you're being yelled at and scolded, that's no fun. And it, it, just, it totally disintegrates the purpose for being there. Have you ever seen a child or a young person basically quit because of all this? Yes. And and I told my I told my parents that I could pick my dad's voice out of Yankee Stadium when he's sitting in the top row in the upper deck in a sellout. And it was a point and I love my dad, but I could pick my voice my dad's voice out of anywhere. And it if there was anything that was critical, you know, that it felt like there was a dialogue between him and me in the game and the game stopped being for me. And I didn't like it. I continued playing. I beat right on through it. But I've seen people that basically said, "Man, why do I want to do this? I'll go, uh, you know, I'll go do something else where, you know, the parent where there's no spectators." Well, Terry, I want to thank you for calling. Great comments this morning, and obviously, I, I I appreciate what you've done as a coach because you've probably had a very positive impact on a lot of people's lives, and that's that's why I talk about this stuff on this show. So, thank you so much for calling. No problem. You have a great show. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You know, too bad there aren't more guys like him out there coaching. Okay, I want to hear from you. If you're a parent, you're a coach, you're an athlete, and somebody in the stands insults you because you struck out, you screwed up, you made a mistake, you dropped a pass, you shot an air ball, how do you react to that? The greatest NCAA basketball 
championship performance was by Bill Walton. He went 20, either 21 for 22 or 22 for 23. Missed a shot, didn't make every one. Very rarely is someone perfect in a whole, he plays a whole game and makes every shot, does everything right. So I have a story that I remember from when I was a, when I was still in grade school, and there was a a kid's parents who were pretty vocal um, to everybody. Basically, I didn't swing at some pitches, and and this guy basically came on and said, you know, hit swing the damn bat. Um, and so eventually, I had had him do this for a couple games. Um, so I turned around and told him to shut up mid mid at bat. That doesn't surprise me, Blake. That you <laughs> <can> do that. <laughs> Well, and I was the guy, I was like, you know, because I, I knew that I was struggling batting at the time. I was already aware. I think he felt embarrassed that I turned around and told him to shut up. And he's like, well, you're not out there swinging the bat. This is all while we're at, I'm actually like in between, uh, in between pitches at the plate. Uh, like, so my parents were at the game. So I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming my dad probably was like, mother, you, no, don't talk to my son. So I didn't, no, nothing really transpired after that. I didn't talk to him after the game. But I definitely wasn't happy. But I was happy in the moment that I turned around and said something to him. Well, okay, then, then that comes not that that's the best way well, to handle it. But <laughs> no, that's that's probably not the best way to handle it. But at the same time, you're frustrated and you got a, a parent yelling at you. You're, you're a kid. Okay, kids screw up. Why do we practice? We practice to learn. You know, it, it's like I, I I ask kids this: Why do you go to school to learn? Well, if you knew it all, why would you go? You wouldn't have to go if you if you. If you knew how to play the sport and you knew how to do it the right way, why would you practice? Okay. We all screw up. So this issue is a big issue, and it's affected all of us. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Low back pain affects more than 30 million Americans and is the world's leading cause of years lost to disability. Nearly 20% of people with low back pain will develop chronic low back pain, which can negatively impact personal relationships, work productivity, and people's daily routines. For some patients, the cause of chronic low back pain is not easy to identify, making it difficult to treat with standard medical care, which can include taking medicine. Dr. Alan Burton, Medical Director, Abbott's Neuromodulation Business, explains how Abbott is exploring treatment options for low back pain with its distinct clinical study. Unrelenting, severe, and constant low back pain can be difficult to manage, but Abbott's distinct clinical study is hoping to find answers for patients. The study compares spinal cord stimulation, Abbott's Burst-DR stimulation, with typical approaches to help relieve pain, increase physical function, and improve emotional well-being for people living with severe and chronic low back pain. Burst-DR stimulation works to reduce pain by altering the pain signals as they travel to the brain. Eligible participants include patients who have suffered with low back pain for more than six months, who have not had lumbar spine surgery, and are not able to have surgery. To see if you are eligible for Abbott's distinct study and to obtain more information on how to enroll, visit neurostudies.abbott. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Neil Armstrong waited six hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. 
Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And even DiCaprio had to wait 22 years to win an Oscar. You can wait until your destination. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. (laughs) No, you hold my hand. Here we go. (laughs) Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad. How do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every Sunday live in Kansas City. Our shows rebroadcast throughout the week and podcasted everywhere. Talking about confidence today and kids' sports, youth sports, how kids deal with negativity from parents, from coaches, from teammates. Confidence and mental toughness. Let's take those two topics in and of themselves. Confidence is the ability to believe in yourself. Mental toughness is the ability to handle adversity. Now, I had a a couple come in a a couple months ago with their daughter, who is nine, who's a soccer player, and the dad told me he wanted his daughter to become more mentally tough. Now, dad's a good guy. Mom's a good, good, nice lady. Good parents. Met with the parents, and then they brought in their daughter. 
And their daughter said at nine, I don't like it when you get angry at me when I make a mistake. And so when you sit there and look at that, when he's talking about mental toughness, and she's getting angry at him for making a mistake at nine, I said, hold on here. Here's the problem. What happened to fun? Why does, why does she need to be mentally tough at nine? I think she needs to learn to have fun again. And mental toughness at age nine is not something I, should, I think kids need to really be focusing on. I think they need to be focusing on how to improve, how to get better, how to concentrate, how to focus, how to be strong. But really, it should be about having fun. Why do so many kids quit sports age 12 and 13? I think there's two reasons. I'd like to get your thoughts as a parent, as a coach, or if you are an athlete who quit at a young age or have a sibling or a friend who quit, because they get burned out. You know, we're starting kids in organized sport activities at four and five now. And I think it's great to teach kids how to play, have fun, do all that stuff. But starting to be on these teams at six and seven, traveling teams, competitive teams, and the pressure to have to win has oftentimes gotten taken out of context. The fun part goes away. The winning part takes over. And that's why you get these parents in the stands who get angry when the team doesn't win or when the child doesn't succeed. Teaching kids about failure in sports should be taught at practice. And to me, in, in practice, as a coach, and and I'm going to throw out a, a, a big compliment to one of my co-authors of my book, Jeff Montgomery, he is the Royals Hall of Fame pitcher, all-time leading saves leader with the Royals, co-author of my book along with, with Peter Malone, coach of the Kansas City Blazers swim team for 40 years. Jeff coached my older son, Jonathan, in baseball after he retired. He set up a, a baseball team at age 12. Jonathan tried out. He made it. He was, he was the last kid on the team, but he made it. And... He had a lot of fun playing on that team for a couple of years, and then he moved on to other things. But one of the things Jeff did with kids is when they screwed up in a game, he didn't get angry at them, didn't curse them out or get negative. At practice, he would pull them aside individually and talk to them and ask them how they felt when they made a mistake, what they thought they did wrong, and how they could learn to get better at it. That's called coaching. That's called coaching kids. And he would have a meeting with the parents and he would say, you know, look, we're here to have fun. We're here to get better. We're, we want to win games, obviously. But that's secondary to the development and, and the fun part. That's why I had my son playing. My son made the team and I let him play on the team because I liked his edit. That's why I had him co-author my book. I've also known Jeff since 1990 when I was a Royal sports psychologist and I loved his attitude and his focus on things. If you look at any child who's played sports and they've moved on past, you know, when they get out of that sport and move on in life, there are two things they're going to remember. How they felt when they played and what people said to them when they played. They're not going to remember individual game or the, the seasons as much as they're going to remember how they felt. And when confidence gets destroyed by coaches, parents, teammates, it often gets destroyed because Parents' egos get involved. You know, there's that old saying, a lot of parents like to live their lives through their, their kids. What I'm seeing more and more in, in my 40th, 40th year of work, 
are kids coming into my office whose self-confidence is getting seriously affected by parents, adults, who will yell at them because they made a mistake. Who doesn't make a mistake? We all screw up. We all make mistakes. You know, and it's like our, our caller Terry mentioned, you know, did, did you go to school and sit in the classroom and yell at a child for getting the, the, the math problem wrong or not putting the right adjective in the sentence in, the, you know, in English? No. Failure is part of what we all have to deal with. And in sports, we're all going to, we, we all, believe me, I lost a lot more playing tennis than I won. And it probably had a huge impact on me. Maybe that's probably why I do what I do. So if you're a parent and you've been at a sporting event, and you've had somebody else yell at your son or daughter when they made a mistake in a game. What did you do? I'd like to hear from someone. What did you do? If you're a coach and you hear parents yelling at kids on your team because they missed a shot or struck out or dropped the ball, and you can see the, the hurt on that child's face, what do you do? So I want to go back and touch on something that um, we'd kind of mentioned earlier about how you know, mental toughness maybe isn't something that we should be teaching at seven years old, eight years old, nine years old. I, I think one of the things that I've always thought would be good for coaching, and, and I'm sure there are some coaches that actually handle this. You mentioned separating practice from games. And I think one of the big things that coaches could do going forward is when you're at practice, you know, monitor your kids and go over, hey, if you mess up in this situation or, you know, it's okay to strike. It's not okay to strike out, but like, let's rep this in the, in practice so that when you get into a game situation, you're going to be ready for it if it happens and you're going to have gone through it. And that, so, that, that's called teaching failure. Exactly. Yes. So what I would think would, would be beneficial for coaches is if they say, okay, I'll, I might not, I'll get on you in practice, but in a game time, we're just going to let things play out. And I'm going to take mental notes on each player throughout the game. And if they do, if they do have something that's wrong, pick them up, pick them up when they get back into the dugout. But when we get to practice, I'm going to go over the certain things that we maybe messed up on individually, and that way I can I can drill with these individual players, or at least mention it and have a way to form practice going forward. I'm not going to rip you in the middle of a game when you're 10 years old, but I'm going to go over with you in practice. That way, when you get into that situation the next time, you might not have that same you might not have that same um, you know, issue arise. That's, but that's also where, Blake, teaching about the mental aspect and about emotion and about feelings. Okay, so you strike out. Let's say it's the fifth inning and your team's losing and you strike out with the bases loaded and it's the third out. You're not going to be happy about that. No. Okay. And, of course, then you got some grandfather yelling, swing the damn bat, you know, blankety blank. Okay. So you've got, you don't feel good about it. You've got some adult yelling at you. All right. So you've got two things to coach then in practice. Why you didn't swing the bat, A, and B, how you felt about it when you failed. Well, okay. you almost have three. Now you have situational as well. You can say, hey, why, you know, why didn't you swing the bat? But here's why you should have in this situation. Well, right. That's you what, know I, mean what I mean about that. That's that part of it. Yeah. But then there's the, 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 it's the execution part. But then the other part of it, is the emotional part. How'd you feel? Nobody, you know, well, I don't say no one, but most people don't like to fail. There are some people who do. It's a good excuse for them. <laughs> True. Most people, well, most people don't like, fa- I, I've got professional athletes I work with all the time. You know, major league baseball players, NFL players who will fail. 
And I mean, I've got I've got one offensive lineman who will tell me in the course of, a, of an NFL game, he'll be on the field for anywhere between 55 to 70 snaps. He said, Doc, I'm going to screw up at least three to five times just because that's just what's going to happen. He said, you know, and, and the coaches know it. I know it. You know, most of the fans don't most of the fans don't know it because it may not be something significant but something. I, but I've got to work on that. And in the film, we'll talk about it. But I don't let it bother me in a negative way. I take it as, as a learning experience. And that's because growing up, my parent, his, he had parents who were terribly, tremendously supportive of him. Very positive when he screwed up. All right, I'd love to hear from you if you're a coach, if you're a parent. How do you build the confidence in kids when there's failure going on, when you've got parents or adults in the stands yelling at them? I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Right now, our country feels divided, but there's a place where people are coming together. I gotta tell you, I was nervous to talk to someone so different than me. Me too, but I'm glad we are. Love Has No Labels and One Small Step are helping people with different political views, beliefs, and life experiences come together through conversation, and it feels good. Wow, your story is so... uh, Interesting? Yeah. When people actually sit down, talk, and listen to one another, they can break down boundaries and connect as human beings. At lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step, you can listen to amazing, life-changing conversations and find simple tools to start a conversation of your own. I know one thing. This conversation gives me hope. It gives me a lot of hope, too. Take a step toward bringing our country and your community together by having the courage to start a conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov slash plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. (laughs) No, you hold my hand. Here we go. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. 
This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Good morning, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 10 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week talking about the mental side of sports. And today's topic is the issue of self-confidence in kids. And we had one great call earlier in the show. I'd love to hear from somebody else. It, the topic is this. If you have a, a child playing sports, it could be six-year-old youth girls soccer. It could be high school boys basketball, whatever. And there's a, another parent who yells at your child because they screwed up. And you're sitting in the stands you're not going to be happy about it. What do you do? If you're a coach and you've got parents in the stands yelling at kids in your team because they made a mistake, what do you do? And then, in the end, how do you help these kids out? Now, failure is inevitable in everything we do. But when you're playing youth sports, it's going to happen all the time. It's the learning experience. That's where coaching comes over in practice. You know, when, it, when a kid screws up, strikes out, misses a shot, like I said earlier, in practice, you talk with them. But see, I think a good coach not just talks to them about it, they ask them about it. Why do you think you didn't swing the bat? Why do you think you missed the shot? How did you feel? Let's talk about what you can do next time to try to do better. You know, you... you, you Swung at the pitch that was in the dirt. Let's try to focus on concentration better. You missed the shot because you didn't fall through with your hands. Let's work on that. How'd you feel about that? And when that that grandfather yelled at you for not striking, for not swinging the bat and striking out, how did that make you feel? Talking about it is so important. You know, I've, I've emphasized on this show a lot the past year. If you're a youth sport coach especially, as we get back into playing again. Take some time to sit down with your team and ask them how they're doing. Ask them how they feel. Ask them how they are emotionally. How are they handling, how did they handle not playing? How, how are they feeling about coming back to play again? It's so important as a coach to, to ask questions and to listen. Listen to where they're at. You know, don't, don't always tell them what to do. Ask them how they're feeling about it. Especially, I think now more than ever, with everything that's gone on, I'm working with a baseball player on the East Coast, a high school baseball player. He, hasn't, he didn't play last year, obviously. The high school season got canceled. He barely played last summer because he's on the East Coast and in the New York area. And now he's, he's playing high school ball again for the first time. And he's so scared and so anxious about screwing up because people make fun of, you, fun of him when he screws up. So we're working on that. We're working on that. And that comes from things that happened to him when he was younger, whenever he'd make, make mistakes. There were people in the stands, adults, who'd yell at him when he was eight and nine. What's wrong with you? Swing the damn bat. He's eight. So I think this, this issue is a bigger issue than maybe we think. I'd still love to hear from a coach who's had this happen in a game, and how did you handle it? What did you do if you had parents yelling at the kids you're coaching for screwing up? Do you say something then? 
Do you wait till after the game? Do you call a team meeting? You know, I've, I've talked forever on this show about having a team meeting, and, and our caller Terry on the, on the show did it, has a team meeting at the end of the season, you set up your guidelines, your rules, and you talk about this. You talk about parents in the stands and behavior in the stands. And I think you bring a bag of lollipops or Tootsie Pops to every game and hand them out before the game and tell the parents to suck on this. My producer Blake is cracking up in the uh, engineering room as I say that. But it works. Because then most parents will stop yelling at the kids. Okay? I mean, if you do it, I I can almost assure you it's going to help the kids you're coaching out because they're not going to hear all that stuff. Now, when you do screw up and you do fail, how do you teach that? How do you teach failure? How do you teach learning from it, growing from it, getting better from it? That's the. If you listen to any professional athlete who has made it to the pros, they're all successful because they've gotten that level. They've survived the whole youth sports craze and everything else. They will talk about, every one of them has, that I've worked with has talked to me about situations where they failed and they learned from it. And they had to deal with ne- this negativity from people. They had to learn to handle it, get tough with it, and respond to it. But I think when we see confidence getting destroyed in kids who are playing sports because adults get angry at them because they screwed up, it's, it's inexcusable. So that's why I think, you know, I, I say a good coach is a good psychologist, a bad coach is a sports psychologist. I think good coaches take the time to not just coach their kids, but coach the parents. I've seen it personally when, when my kids were younger. I hear about it all the time, and I'm hearing it more and more in my office now. The pressure on kids to be perfect, to win, has gotten worse. And it's starting at younger ages. That word fun, and it's, it's in our intro, the word fun has sort of gone out of the, the game for a lot of, lot of kids because the word winning becomes more prominent. This is something that, that we've got to address. And I think as, more, you know, everyone's coming back to life again after this virus and we're moving on from it. You know, people are going to start doing all these things again, playing sports again. Teams are going to start, do, you know, getting together. And this will be, you know, there's going to be this pressure to win, to get out there and play and win. Nobody, I, I, I don't say no one. Very few people like to lose. There are people who like to lose. They, they think it brings attention to them. So, Blake, let me ask this question. After that game where you yelled at the, the parent to shut up, what did your parents say to you? I honestly don't think they said anything except for good good for you. I mean, they probably said the same thing I said at the time. My parents were very aware that I knew. My parents were very aware that I was aware of all situations that I was going through, whether it was slumping, whether it was, you know, doing really well, whether I was having problems stopping the ball when I was playing catcher from the backstop, like the low ones. So, they, I mean, they probably just brushed it off and they were like, yeah, I hate when he does that, and then moved on. When some other parent in the stands may have made a comment about you, what do you think they did? Ne- a negative comment about you. You mean what did they say to me or what did they do? What, what, what do you think they did? did? Did they just probably ignore it? Did they, would they say something to those people? Oh, I'm sure that they probably said something to them. You know, I, I, I never heard it. 
because they they weren't the type of people that were going to address it and then tell me later that they addressed it. They were just going to handle it on their own. Because I know this is a this is a bigger issue for a lot of people than than we know about. Because when you're at a game and a, a youth sport game, a high school game, and your son or daughter makes a mistake, and some other adult yells at them, you can't be happy about it. And you know there you hear all the time about parents getting in fights at games and things like that. I think. You know, I say a good coach check, needs to check his or her ego at the door. I think parents need to check their ego at the door when they walk into a youth sports event. Go there, enjoy it, have fun, the ups or downs, whatever it might be. And then afterwards, after the game's over, when you get home, after you've had some pizza or ice cream or some hamburgers or whatever, or maybe maybe some tofu, whatever you're going to eat with your kids, and they want to talk about the game, talk about how they can get better, how much fun they had. And what are they going to learn from it? But don't you bring it up unless they want to. Let the coaches do that. And if you see a problem, talk to the coach. That's what a coach does. A coach, You know, in our book we talk about how coaches coach, parents parent, referees referee, and kids play. And that's the whole emphasis of our book, Just Let Them Play, Guiding Parents, Coaches, and Athletes for Youth Sports, because that's the issue we got to deal with. You know, I'm here every week talking about these topics. I'd love to hear from you. If you have a topic you'd like me to bring up, there are a lot of ways you can reach me. You can always email me at drj at winners, W-I-N-N-E-R-S, unlimited.com. You can give me a call at my office at 816-561-5556. I am taking on new clients. I do, like I said, phone sessions, FaceTime sessions all over the place now. Follow me on Twitter at drj psych. You know, I really enjoy doing this show every week because to me it's about helping people out and hopefully every week Somebody get something positive from this that can help them make the youth sports event a better event for, for themselves, for their kids, for everybody. You know, sports is, is what it's, it's my profession. Sports psychology is my profession, but I love sports. I love playing. How we learn to win, how we learn to lose makes us better as people. Blake, thanks for your, doing the show as always. Hope you enjoyed the show once again. Let people know about it. It's podcasted everywhere. Encourage some parents or some coaches to listen to this show who need to. Have a great week. Talk to you next week. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive, realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development, our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? 
You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its Pre-Diabetes Awareness Partners.